talk about movies i'm dj and as always i'm joined by my co-host aaron how's it going man it's going good dj i'm coming fresh off of a great run in hades ready to talk about some movies oh nice nice tying it all together tying it all together uh we are talking about quite a few movies today i think we decided we are going to start with the little things which uh just premiered on hbo max but we're also eventually going to be getting to one night in miami and promising young woman and maybe a little WandaVision uh, with heavy spoilers at the very end. Because uh, when we're recording this, episode 5 just came out. So we are all up on the MCU hype. Yeah, DJ, movies are coming out. I think it might be like award season, kind of. But who knows or cares. Yeah, I mean, the Golden Globes just got announced. And I was like, okay, that's that's fine. Like, I don't think people particularly care too much about the golden globes i was like this year in particular i don't think they care but yeah and they got a little silly Never. with it but um oh did they i know nothing <laughs> yeah we don't have to get into that i don't think that's content okay. that people want to hear but i think that's part of the reason a bunch of these movies are coming out is um if you want to be considered for the academy awards for movies in the year 2020 you have to be released by the end of february i believe Oh, um, okay. Of the year 2021. And a lot of these movies are just waiting as long as they possibly can, hoping that there's like some theater audience that will rise up out of their quarantine and come see their movie in theaters. But most of them are giving up on that and coming straight to streaming or premium video on demand, PVOD. I feel like that's a, a new COVID <laughs> term. Yeah, hadn't heard of that one before. Yeah, it fits. <laughs> But I actually, I, I don't know, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying having a variety of movies to choose from that are new and uh, have interesting things to talk about. So I'm excited to talk about all these. Yeah, I'm loving it, man. I actually, I'm getting back into it because for whatever reason, I somewhat took 2020 off as far as like movie watching goes. So I'm trying to get back in. You didn't miss much, Um, though. Like if, if these three movies had come out in the past, I don't know, nine months, I probably would have told you to watch at least some of them. Um, yeah. But there just wasn't content that was like this quality, I don't think. Yeah. It's um, or at least it was supposed to be this quality. I think there were a few mm-hmm. hidden gems, but these these are definitely movies that on release, they're expecting, I don't know, good reviews. And I, at least that's what it felt like to me. Okay, so let's dive right in. First movie we're going to be talking about is The Little Things. Uh, I guess we'll put up spoilers because people might be interested in this and they can watch it easily if they uh, jumped in with the whole HBO Max subscription. Um, Starring Denzel, Jared Leto, and Rami Malek, so three Oscar winners. Like, this is a stacked cast. Uh, Aaron, what did you think of, of The Little Things? Um, it's, it's interesting. So I I think this is a movie that I had no idea was being made or coming out until the big HBO Max announcement where they announced their big lineup of all the movies that are going to be coming out. Um, 
I really don't know if this came out in theaters, if this is something I would have gone to see. I really think it would have come down to the marketing on this because it's, I don't know, it's a very um, old-timey, like, uh, cops drama, kind of, in a sense of, mm-hmm. it, at times it almost feels like an elevated episode of, of some crime show. Um, which really isn't like my wheelhouse, but I think I did enjoy this movie and I've seen a lot of the critical reaction to it. Um, and that hasn't been as positive, but I'm, I'm curious to know what you thought. Uh, this, to me, this movie, uh, similarly to you, I was unaware that it existed until HBO Max was just like, oh, this is coming out next weekend. And I saw Denzel and a trailer, and I was like, well, yes. But I feel like this movie strikes me as a movie that, if times were normal, would have come out in either January or February or, like, late August. And I feel like we would have gone in with different expectations. I think we would have been like, why is this movie not in a more prime time spot? And I think that's because, overall, it kind of... It's a thriller of sorts, and I kept giving the movie the benefit of the doubt. I kept waiting to be like, all right, this is one that's going to kick into gear. And then it just never really does for me. It felt like I was waiting for like that spark to happen and like the movie to really engage me, and it kind of just fizzled out. Um, I think there are some nice interactions between the characters, and Jared Leto is certainly doing something. <laughs> um, but overall, I I was left kind of disappointed and kind of just like a... Yeah, this is a fine movie. Uh, it kind of it, it felt like the same way when you like watch a Netflix movie because you're just like, oh, well, I'm here. And that's not what I want when I see Denzel in a movie. Yeah, I know when we had talked about this, I think last week, you were excited by the prospect of Denzel with a gun. Um, <laughs> yeah. What gets you really excited. The only time that Denzel fires a gun in this movie is in the past in a flashback. <laughs> And it's a very pivotal moment that he actually fired this gun. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's definitely not like Denzel taking... Ma- it is Denzel taking matters into his own hands, but not the way we're used to him doing it. No, and I mean, to be fair, like, I, I enjoy Denzel in, like, all aspects of movies. Because I am aware that, like, it would be weird to see Denzel in a, a uh, like, a John Wisk X-type action movie like, like the that equalizer. might not be yeah i don't well that, and see that was a while ago and the equalizer <laughs> 2 which is a movie that i think we were far kinder on than we should have been in retrospect um i i don't need like that uh, constant action for a denzel movie i just like to see him act and i think he does a good job and i like some of the interactions between him and rami malik but yeah this movie felt off to me and I guess I was just, I kept being like, well, it's got all these actors in it, like something, something that I'm going to be excited to talk to Aaron about is going to happen. And that just never really happened. Yeah. Do you think it mostly falls on the third act of this movie? I don't know if we're going to have time to go beat by beat through all of these. Um, I don't think we should, at least for this movie. Yeah, (laughs) we can, we can kind of do a brief summary, but essentially Denzel we start the movie and he's he's a cop in some county kind of outside of we're in los angeles right is that where we are uh i think so yeah okay um he's just out in a county just outside of los angeles 
seems close to retirement, but he's kind of in like a low-level position. Um, he gets kind of sucked into this uh, drama that's going on back in the city. Of there's like a serial killer, and they've got their hotshot detective who's from now like trying to solve the case. Um, Denzel just keeps getting invited to the crime scenes for some reason. Well, so we're not going to go beat by beat, but the first like 40 minutes of this movie is almost a spoof of kind of the whole Denzel, my man, yeah. what are you doing here? It, it was basically every character being like, you son of a gun. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. every character I thought you was retired. That. <laughs> yeah. It, no, I get and that. I know they didn't do it on purpose, but that's entirely how it felt. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, he just kept ending up at all these crime scenes, kind of like doing his own Denzel thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's clear like he kind of has some skills that are like beyond what his position should, and we're kind of piecing together his like past through mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, and he's kind of like winning the trust of Rami Malek. They kind of had a weird relationship at the start. They did, and I'm glad they got over it. That got over that eventually because I didn't want them to be antagonistic the whole time. Yeah. Um. So they're kind of like ribbing towards the end. Kind of really worked for me, honestly. Um. And like, I mean, I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, but if you watch the trailer, you can tell that like Jared Leto is one of their suspects, and he's doing a lot and. Honestly, like watching him, I was like, I wish that Suicide Squad would have been better because I think he could have taken a pretty interesting take on the Joker. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would say that Jared Leto doesn't go all in on his performances. Right, right. Like he definitely is completely into this movie in a way that maybe even Denzel and Robbie Malik aren't like at that level. Um, Mm -hmm. and it can come across as almost too much at times. True, but because the rest of the movie, it didn't feel like a ton was really grabbing me. I was like, I'm glad that someone is like really just doing something. (laughs) That's the best way I can describe what he's doing. That's, that's fair. Um, yeah. So I, I guess a little context, Jared Leto's character is kind of this just very like, I don't know, uncomfortable and very suspicious character um that they suspect of being the serial killer and the movie definitely kind of like leads you to like go along with them and think like oh yeah this guy could definitely have done it but Mm -hmm. he's also like an expert on crimes and just like loves crime and studies it and so that kind of excuses some of why he's like doing some of the things he's doing i mean one of the main conceits of the movie is they never give you hard evidence that he is the killer but it's it's all on Jerry Leto's performance of just acting very suspicious and very strange and like, oh yeah, this guy's a weirdo. Like he should for sure at least be arrested, and just for like being weird. <laughs> just for being weird. Yeah, that's kind of how you feel. And yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. I he really he really did go for it, but I almost feel like his performance doesn't fit with Denzel and Rami Malek's performances. Like, he's just at such another (sighs) level, and I feel like Denzel and Rami Malek's thing was so, like, subtle, and I actually did like their, like, character building and kind of, like, how that relationship grew, and we kind of find out more about Denzel. 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think I disliked Jared Leto, but it it definitely was like when he was on screen, you were completely paying attention to him and not to anything else going on. Yeah, that's true. Um, this is one of the the crazy things to me. Jared Leto is nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Globes for this performance. Really? Yes. Huh. Which is something. Cause, I don't know about that, but it, I mean, it, it has stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a performance. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know if the like movie hinges on how you feel about Jared Leto. I don't think that's true, because I think you could love Jared Leto's performance and not thought the movie was great. Yeah. Um, it, it really hinges on this final third, where... Jared, hold on are we getting into oh, it do we do we want to is there anything from the first two-thirds of the movie that you want to uh highlight any like specific scenes or anything no that's <laughs> not really that's fair um it did just kind of have a weird vibe to it kind of just like a dirty like crime serial killery vibe to it mm-hmm. um have you just kind of felt dark and uncomfortable um which is how the two denzel and robbie malik kind of feel just because they're so into this so i thought it kind of did a good job of of showing like if you're around all of this stuff all day you're just in this dark place um for some reason i thought denzel's scene where he goes to the house of his uh former wife I thought his acting was incredible in that scene for some reason. Oh, Denzel, like, I don't think he's, like, I don't think Denzel is capable of, like, phoning it in. Like, no, like, I, and I... It's a great performance. It, it is, and the scene where he's, like, over at Rami Malek's house with the little girl. Oh, yeah, like, and the one comes over and hugs him, yeah. and he's like, oh, man, I was like, oh, I love Denzel. And oh, it just makes me happy. Just, like, the way he uses his, like, blindingly white smile... Like, he uses it like a weapon. It's crazy. Like, he just, like, flashes his teeth and it's like, oh my gosh. It can be, like, very affecting or it can be very intimidating. It's just, yeah. And then when he, like, was talking to his ex-wife and she, like, went away and he, like, kicked the mulch over to, like, mess up the yard. I don't know. I just, his, his presence in the movie is wonderful. Yes, Denzel is never a disappointment. Yeah, the movies he's in, maybe, but he himself is not. I would say. Yeah. What did you think of Rami Malek's performance? I I don't know. At times, like the ribbing between him and Denzel, like there are a couple lines that I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's that's some good, just like classic, like buddy cop stuff. But him, like in this role, was like a hotshot detective. I don't really know if I necessarily saw. Yeah, I wanted to like his performance more, um, but I I think it might just be that the third act really just jumps the shark with his character. That I'm just like he wouldn't no no he wouldn't do that. <laughs> like I I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he plays cool like well enough <laughs> to set up the like he is this like hotshot detective mm-hmm. because to me Rami Malek is just kind of weird. <laughs> he is yeah like i don't know his his bohemian rhapsody performance is like the big awards he won 
I don't know if I really like loved that performance, but he definitely like got into it and went for it with that. Um, yeah. But I'd say I mostly think of him as Mr. Robot. I don't know if you've watched Mr. Robot. I have not. Um, I've heard nothing but good things, though. Yeah, I in that he's he's very like mumbly and antisocial, and that seems to be closer to his mo though. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I, there were even some scenes in this movie where I was like glad I had closed captions on just because the way he oh, he speaks yeah. is kind of like hard to understand because he kind of like has this. I don't know. I don't know if it's his like accent or his dialect somehow, but it it is kind of just like sleepy in a way. Um, but I I actually thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, he's in there with Denzel. Okay. He's in there with Jared Leto doing whatever that was. Um, <laughs> I thought he did a pretty good job of, like, holding his own in the ring with those two. No, yeah, that's definitely a, a good perspective. He definitely holds his own uh, with these, like, titans of acting, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's just... I don't. Want, I don't want to be mean, but he's just like. A, seems like such a interesting guy. I don't know this classic like kind of cliche hotshot detective. I don't know if I necessarily saw in him. Yeah, um, I actually. But I did like his ribbing with Denzel. So I think that like that chemistry testing probably was very good between the two. I just wish the script would have given him more moments of like levity they could have had between each other. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, he, he does go pretty quickly from, like, their friends to he gets really frustrated with the slowness of, like, the detective part of it, of sitting in the car and everything, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's in this car with Jared Leto, and it all goes downhill from there. Um, yeah. I, I did think he was really good in a scene, like, right at the end of the movie when he's sitting by the pool, like, looking super distant. And just, like, not there at all. And he, like, opens the envelope. I thought he was really good in that scene, too. Oh, no. he's a, Yeah, I think he's a great actor. Um, yeah, I I think the only other thing I've seen him in previews for is the uh, uh, next James Bond movie that may or may not eventually come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want him to be, you know, blowing up in more things because... I know that Mr. Robot was a pretty popular TV show, but like Bohemian Rhapsody definitely put him on the map. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I want to see what he's going to do in the future. Yeah, I feel like he's very good in the right role. And I don't feel like this was necessarily the wrong role, but it wasn't a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, before we talk about the ending, I think one of the things I've seen most about this movie is it just felt like it was kind of like old schooly. Which is funny, because I'm pretty sure it was set in the 90s. It, it was set in the 90s. I think it's also important to note that it was written in the 90s. Um, oh. It was written 30 <laughs> years ago. The director is John Lee Hancock. He's actually a Baylor grad. Uh, oh. And he he's probably best known for The Blind Side. Uh, he like mm. wrote and directed that. Uh, he also he did a movie last year called... The Highwaymen that I watched that was pretty boring. Um, this was better than that. Uh, but he's kind of got this, like, I don't know, old classical sense to him. Um, so I'm not surprised that that, like, critique came out. I don't know. Did you, mm-hmm. did you feel that? Did you feel like it wasn't, like, lively enough or? Um, well, I, 
Yes, but I was giving the movie the benefit of the doubt because I was like, all this uh, tension and slow rolling is going to come to a point that makes it all worth it. And for me, I, I guess it didn't really reach there. Um, it didn't. I, I, I get. I my assumption was that we were in the '90s just so we didn't have to deal with like you know cell phones cameras being pointed everywhere yeah yeah <laughs> so i was like hey i get it you don't want to have to deal with that that's fine i don't want to have to deal with it either yeah i feel like it is harder to do this type of like serial killer like evidence collecting kind of drama in present day because it's it's so much like on the computer and that's so hard to show yeah. like computer stuff um, yeah it very quickly becomes like forensic gobbledygook yeah and i don't think anyone really wants that the only times i thought the like the actual like filmmaking of the movie felt pretty weak to me was like one of the car the car following chase towards the very end it felt really disjointed and disoriented there's there's one scene and i don't know why this stuck out to me but like it's it's framed where you can like see denzel driving and the perspective of the car in the background moves, but he doesn't change, move the steering wheel. I was like, okay, like someone had to have seen this because I was not watching that. Yeah, intently. yeah, no, I know what you mean. Where, yeah, it looks like one of those old schooly things where they're in the car and they've got some like moving backdrop behind them. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's not that's know. not great. But I, I guess I hadn't thought about that that chase, and we can kind of get into the third act here now. Um, but as Rami Malek's in the car with Jared Leto and Denzel Washington's like trailing him, it was so hard to tell how far behind he was. I could never tell. Yeah, because there was one where it tracked from his car up to Jared Leto's car, and he was like two cars back. Right. But then they show Jared Leto getting off on an exit, and then like three minutes later, we see Denzel <laughs> getting off on the same exit. Yeah, almost to the point where I was like. Is he guessing? Yeah, yeah. I, and then he he does end up kind of losing them, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, because he kind of goes like past the exit and like sees them down. That that was a very confusing part. I don't, and it took a very long time for him to finally get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was know. it. Was weird. That was strange. It was like they they wanted to show that he was like following them. But they also didn't want him to be there for a significant amount of time after they arrived at the destination. Yeah. And they didn't really come up with a clever way of solving that problem. Um, no, but they really did not. Yeah, so so Jerry Leto takes uh, Rami Mal, which I don't remember any of these characters' names from the movie. I'm realizing. Um, Deke? That was Denzel. Denzel, Denzel was Deke. Um... But he takes Rami Malek out to this, like, I don't know, ranch or something. Just some open land that he somehow has access to. Uh, drives out to, like, this giant patch of dirt. And he's like, oh, one of the girls that I killed is buried here. And, I mean, at this point... Well, he starts to make it seem like his family might be there. Like Rami Malek's family. Oh, I didn't, I didn't get that. I thought he was saying... Oh, that's what I thought he was trying to pull. He was like, you've got that beautiful wife at home, two beautiful daughters, can't even protect them, something like that. And I was like, oh, God. I thought he was saying that like he he might go and do the same thing to them later. Oh, okay. I mean, either way, it's a moot point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's but, not what so happens. Robbie Malik is like 
dead convinced. Well, I don't know if he's dead convinced. He's pretty convinced that he's going to find something out in this desert. Or he really, really mm. wants to find like a body out in this desert. Because that would be enough evidence to finally convict this guy that he's just wanted to convict for so long. Which feels like it's been, I don't know, four days? I think it has been four days. Yeah, and he's just kind of like gotten really impatient. Yeah, and so he's digging, and then Jared Leto's like, oh, actually, it might be over here, and he makes him dig over there. Denzel's, like, circling around the countryside trying to find them. And then he says the thing about his family. Jared Leto mentions Rami Malek's family, and he swings around and hits him with the shovel. I think at that point I kind of knew something like this was coming. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, at at one point, like, Rami Malek's digging, and Jared Leto, like, gets close to, like, it looks like I thought he was gonna like go for Rami Malek's gun or something like that. And I was like, "Oh, twist!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah, it it definitely tried to be subversive to what like we expect to be the end of one of these kind of movies. Mm-hmm. But you do leave wondering if it would have been better if we just got some like very satisfying, like hard conclusion. I don't know, or something that's, like, clever of, like, oh, and this is how he did it, or something like that. But the movie feels like it thinks it's clever for this aversion, and I don't know if I agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something. It's different, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's clever. It is different. So so we leave with Jared Leto. Uh, Rami Malek has now killed Jared Leto out in the desert. Denzel finds them. Um, we have this flashback to a time when Denzel... As a younger cop, like, did something kind of similar where he was around a crime scene of two murders, hot on the trail of the serial killer, and accidentally shot a girl that was hiding in the bushes. I'm not entirely (laughs) clear, like, they don't explicitly say, like, why this happened. Um, But he basically accidentally killed someone and then had uh, two of his co-workers help cover it up. Yeah, that was an interesting reveal, and you kind of knew there was like it explained some of the history and why he's like been sent out um, to the the faraway county to be a low level um, deputy or whatever. Yeah, um, but essentially, it's like these two have now done similar things where they've got two involved in this case, and it's gone too far, and they then end up killing someone. And now they have to cover it up. Uh, Denzel goes and covers it up, looks for evidence, and we don't really find any. Um, and then there's the thing with the red beret, where he like sends it to Rami Malik, so that Rami Malik thinks that they have evidence um, that it was this guy. But like the killings are gonna keep happening, right? Well, but do we know if it was that guy or not? I don't think it was. Don't think I, it was. There's nothing that told me it was. It was. It was Jared Leto. Yeah, or they're gonna find something to show that it was that guy, and then they're gonna have to go look for that guy. I don't know. It it does leave you with a lot of questions. I think the message it's trying to get through is like the the characters of Rami Malek and Denzel Washington and how they're so deep into this world of like catching serial killers and take so much responsibility from that that they're willing to do these things that like rationally don't make any sense. Yeah. Um, And so that, that like character piece of it, I think I really like, I think the, 
plot like arc of the movie was not satisfying. Yeah, me neither. Well, I'm glad it seemed to work a little bit better for you. I left a little disappointed. Um, I liked the performances. I just wish the the plotting of the script had done a little bit more for me. Um, yeah. Do you think if this had been the same movie, but the the final act had played out differently, that you would have liked it? Like a lot. I think more? I just would have thought it was fine. Okay. Because I think that would have been something we have all seen before so this is was at least different so i was like okay that's something uh i don't know it just it felt very like a, like the beginning of the movie like i was talking about like it seems like a trope everyone being like denzel son of a gun what are you doing here it felt very um common ground i'll say yeah no that's fair um i think it's it's fine like quarantine material oh yeah and I, it was an interesting thing to watch, but yeah, I don't, I don't think this is gonna be on anyone's like top list, other than apparently Jared Leto's performance being one of the best performances of the entire year, according. It to is the something. Gold, according to the Golden <laughs> Globes, it is, it is definitely something. All right. Uh, anything else about the little things? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't I don't know if this feels like a a net positive to your HBO Max subscription. Um but it is just... I'll say yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's that's fair. Again, it's hard for me to go like real hard in on a on a Denzel movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as I am evidenced kind of... by yes. the Equalizer 2 last year or the year before, which we were pretty kind about. Yeah. Um and I, he never gives a bad performance, is the thing. Like, it could be the worst movie, and you'd be like, well, Denzel did have his moments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he, he got his time. Um, I did want to look up real quick what the current Rotten Tomatoes on this is, because I feel like it's it's pretty consensus. Like, eh, is the general feeling of the movie. <laughs> and, yeah that's pretty well confirmed so critics give it 47 percent um and it says an inception exceptionally well cast throwback thriller it'll feel deeply familiar to genre fans for better and for worse that's fair um the audience score is 64 percent which i okay. feel like for the audience is like pretty middling that's like the yeah. equivalent of 47 percent from the critics yeah so it's a fine movie, I guess. It's it's okay. okay. Yeah, I can't go defending it too much, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like one thing they did... Okay, and then we can move on. But one thing that I did like about it was it didn't feel too like terribly long to me. It felt a little plodding to me because I kept waiting to start to enjoy it a little more. But I understand. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it did. Like I think they could have drawn it out to where I was just like stopping and like watching it in several installments and never finishing it but it was it was a little over two hours and that was fun okay i'm done talking about the little things <laughs> you had more to say about it than i think i did <laughs> that's fair all right um what are we talking about next one night in miami yes uh so this is a amazon studios movie directed by regina king i believe her directorial debut um, it is about the quasi real life story of a meeting one night in Miami between, uh, Malcolm X, uh, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. Uh, 
uh, yeah, Aaron, I love this movie. <laughs> this was great. I I'm I'm there with you. I really did enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is like a new genre necessarily, but we've had several movies recently that have been like plays adapted to movies but in a way where it still kind of feels like a play yeah like you, I don't, you definitely is notes. there a word for that <laughs> i don't i don't know but i mean ma rainey's black bottom was definitely this way i don't know if you've had a chance to watch that yet mm-hmm. um and then fences with our guy denzel yeah a couple of years ago was very much like this also um and it's just kind of like a new experience for me and i think i kind of like it i do too and i i think that it does take uh some sort of like uh directional vision to make it not seem stale if that makes sense like i i feel like when just the uh the perception when you're watching a play and a movie are slightly different but i think that in this movie and all three movies you mentioned, this, My Rainey's Black Bottom, and Fences, like, the camera work and the way the actors are able to portray the characters, it still feels like a movie in a way that doesn't feel like they're just... I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like you couldn't... I feel like it shouldn't be a super easy thing to just take a play and, like, put it in movie. Like, I think there has to be some sort of, like, technical work to still make it feel cinematic in a way. Yeah. Yeah, but it, at the same time, I think it's good to go into something like this knowing that it's based on a play, so you're not expecting more than you're going to get. Like, there's True, not... but I didn't know going in that this was based on a play, oh, really? but okay. as the movie went on, like as soon as we get all four characters at the same location, I was like, this has to be based off of a play, and I love that realization. It didn't bother me, because uh, to me, it felt like, oh, that just means we're going to really get time to, like, sit simmer with these characters understand their different perspectives on life that's absolutely what this movie was so i didn't know that going in but as soon as the credits popped up and it was like based on one night in miami i was like well that just makes perfect sense yeah okay well let's let's talk about some things in this movie so um for the most part it's these four actors um and for the most part they're in a hotel room after uh, Muhammad Ali wins a fight, and I forget which fight. I should probably know which fight this was. Some some important fight as he's kind of rising. Uh, it was the one over Sonny Liston, I guess, to become the heavyweight world champion. Yeah, and I like I don't know a whole lot about Muhammad Ali's like I don't know facts about his career and everything. Like I know he's right. like great great fighter and everything. And similarly, I don't know a whole lot about Jim Brown. Other than, like, he was a great football player, and he had, I now know he had a, like, acting career after. So I think some of the fun of this was kind of, like, learning about some of the history of some of these characters that I didn't know as much about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you know that history, kind of how that is used to flesh out their character and the perspectives that they bring to the table. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think... Uh, the characters I was, or the people, I guess I should say, since these are uh, based on real life people that I was most familiar with was uh, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. Um, I knew a decent amount about uh, Muhammad Ali, not as much about Jim Brown. Like I had no idea he had an acting career or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the way that 
the dialogue of the movie so effortlessly like shows us the different perspectives on the civil rights movement and just what it like means to be black at this time and um how relevant it still seemed today was pretty surprising to me it felt yeah um it feels weird but like some of the conversations especially the different perspectives that malcolm x and sam cook had as far as um assimilating like into just american culture and like what that means from a black perspective it felt very similar to some of the conversations i was having like with my parents like uh during the summer last year during the um Black Lives Matter movement with uh, the killing of George Floyd, like that, like that was an event that you can't just once the genie was out of the bottle. Like every, there are countries across the globe who are saying like Black Lives Matter and things like that, and that's something that me and my parents had like different perspectives about. Like how do we continue just living as Black people in this country when there are neighbors and former teachers and the like who had dissenting opinions to a simple phrase as like you know we matter and i don't know i this movie hit me in a way that i wasn't expecting it to um but i think that's largely because the dialogue didn't feel very preachy and it didn't feel like there is a particular right or wrong it was just varying perspectives um yeah i think all the actors really brought that all to life um yeah, I, I thought this movie was great. Uh, what did you think of some of the performances? I I genuinely liked all of these performances. I, I kind of tried to go through and think like, oh, who was my favorite? Or like, how would I rank these different characters? But I thought they all had like great moments and made very good choices about how to portray their characters. Mm-hmm. I really liked seeing Leslie Odom Jr. in something other than Hamilton. Same. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think he's really good and should be in everything going forward. Um, somewhat similar to Denzel, he has <laughs> a very powerful smile. Yeah. Where he, like, bares his teeth and it's it can be kind of, like, unsettling. Um, but he, he, like, could dial up the charm in this. That was great. His scene towards the end of uh, when... Malcolm X is telling the story about his concert. Oh, amazing! Scene. Amazing scene. Honestly, like you were saying that, like it kind of elevates it above a play to like justify it being a movie. Like that—that mm. that scene is what what I think of for that. It's like that was that was a cinematic, like very powerful scene. Yeah, it was absolutely great. I love that when Malcolm X is like telling the story. He was like, you know, we were in the very back, so we couldn't hear anything but the claps but you could just see his presence and then the camera like starts to like pan out or zoom out and like get towards the back of the audience and uh Leslie Odom Jr's uh you can't really hear him as well but you can still hear the beat of the song which is my favorite Sam Cooke song by the way uh, Chain Gang um oh yeah I uh, I love that scene I should have known that there was going to be like like you don't cast Leslie Odom oh, Leslie Odom Jr not let him sing but yeah. he's got quite a few songs in this movie and especially uh, his rendition of You Send Me, I think I gasped because it sounded just like Sam Cooke, but like not, it didn't seem like he was trying to imitate him. That's just his voice. Yeah. Uh, absolutely great. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, he was he was incredible. I think uh, Kingsley Benadir is Malcolm X. Never heard of this guy. Same. I feel like he had the most challenging role because he has to go from this very like reserved, contained Malcolm X that's kind of like I don't know, not not putting on an act, but kind of has this front face to him. Mm-hmm. But then also when he gets poked enough, he he kind of like loses it a couple times, and then he has to come back down. I just felt like his his range was all over the place, and I thought he did a very good job of that. I did too. I had never heard of him before. I looked him up. It looks like he had done, uh, he's a British actor. He had done quite a few plays and things. I think that strength is what he brought to this character because, yeah, Malcolm X is a fascinating individual. And I think he played him perfectly because I think the average person probably knows Malcolm X is, you know, all fire and fury. But I like that he had to be he had to stir himself up to that point or the people around him had to get him to that point. He wasn't like all fiery all the time. He's just like any other person. There are going to be times when he's hot and times when he's cold. But man, when he was getting upset, he had such this righteous indignation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played it perfectly. I loved it. I love like the little affectation of the stutter he got sometimes when he was like mm-hmm. getting too upset to speak. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Yeah. Completely, completely off track. But at the at the end, there's a scene where he and his family have to leave their house because it's uh, been targeted by some hate crime, and he's in a robe. And I was like, "This guy's ripped." Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Whoa!" Like this was not a role that you needed to like work out for or anything. But he was in real good shape. Well, I think I saw something that said Regina King brought him on to read for uh, Muhammad Ali at first, which interesting. Yeah, I was like, that seems weird, but I mean, he's he's a fit dude, but uh, Eli Gore, or Gore, do you know? How to I, do, I don't know. I, another person I've never heard of. Um, I had seen him before. Uh, uh, w- there was a brief stint when uh, Grace and I tried to get into Riverdale, but it was uh, far too insane for our liking. But he <laughs> was on Riverdale, uh, the guy who played Muhammad Ali. And this guy is jacked as well. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it makes sense you know, when he's playing Muhammad Ali. Uh, I thought he was great. He seemed to have that sort of early type of, like, swagger, if you will, that uh, Cassius Clay would have had. Uh-huh. Yeah, he definitely brought this, like, boyish energy to the group. Like, the rest of them are very, like, established men that, like, I don't know. They kind of know what they're doing, more or less. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. He just brings this like exuberance, and like he's on his like rise to glory. And he just keeps saying like how he's gonna be the greatest, like he's already the greatest. And I don't know. There was one part where he's literally like bouncing on the bed. Like mm-hmm. He was just so excited. He was the only one that wanted to eat the ice cream that Malcolm X had in his room. <laughs> I liked when uh, Malcolm X was playing a record trying to make a point, and <laughs> Muhammad Ali just gets up, starts dancing. He's like, oh, I love this tune. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he really just brought so much brightness to these guys. And it makes sense. Like He had just been named the world champ. He was only like 22 at the time or something like that, which is crazy. And I, there were only a couple of scenes of him boxing, but I loved how... You could tell the crowd wanted him to lose and how that just powered him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it really seemed the like... villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he was great. And I think it's great that it, like, it made sense for his character to be that way. 
but it yes. also it also balanced out the other characters very well because mm-hmm. I think I think if you had four very serious men having very serious conversations in a room, like the movie just wouldn't have been very fun. It would have been a bit of a downer, and <laughs> yeah, and you would have just been like, okay, like you were saying, like some of some of these kind of movies can get kind of preachy or they're trying yeah. to just sell you on their viewpoint. And and you're just kind of like, ah, I just, like, you're trying too hard. Or, I don't know, it's just a little off-putting. But I feel like he really balanced it out to where it was like, I don't know, still a, still a kind of fun movie, even with all these very, very heavy conversations going on. Yeah, I, I laughed a ton in this movie. I, I thought it had a lot of charm. Uh, somewhat, like, seemed like kind of like the foil to Muhammad Ali was Jim Brown. Uh, played by Aldous Hodge, who I don't feel like is given, like, a ton to do, but he felt like the most, like, solid, <laughs> if that makes sense. So it felt like it worked. Um, I loved his scene somewhat towards the end of the movie when he's talking uh, to Malcolm X and kind of pokes and prods him about, you know, being all fire and fury, despite the fact that, um, you know, he's more he's more of a light-skinned guy. So that's... Uh, I always find it poignant when... Uh, in movies, they talk about kind of that, you know, black people are not just a one, like, solo unit. There are, like, different um, uh, different factions within that. And him kind of poking and prodding, saying things, well, you know, it's always you light-skinned brothers who seem to be the most militant when, in actuality, the world does view you different than darker-skinned people. And I, I that was, like, the first time it felt like Jim Brown was get, able to, like, Somewhat put something on the table just because Malcolm X and Sam Cooke were doing so much uh, earlier in the movie. Um, yeah, it was it was a very strong scene, and uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was one of my favorite scenes too. I just I've never seen that perspective in a movie, just because I don't know how you put that perspective in a movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like I feel like that's just you need a movie that's one based on a play that's written by a black person and it's also directed by a black person like i don't know there's just an an amount of like care and nuance to it um Mm -hmm. that i don't i i just think it could have been done completely differently and (laughs) i thought aldous hodge handled that part very well if he's kind of this like solid rock and like he can say things that other people maybe can't say um Mm -hmm. It is interesting looking at, like, the history of Jim Brown. He's not, like, a great guy. Like, he does kind of have this, oh, no. like, <laughs> this, like, Hollywood side to him where he kind of revels in the, like, fame and stuff. But it is interesting to see, like, this famous athlete is kind of the one that can, like, bring things back down. When he was, like, in the bathroom, like, listening to Sam and Malcolm, like, having it out in the other room. Mm-hmm. And you can just kind of see him just kind of, like, thinking through things and like i don't know he just kind of knew the right time to say things and when to remove himself from it yeah i i feel like people might discount him just or discount the character of jim brown in this movie just because he's not as much of a presence as Mm -hmm. malcolm x cassius or sam cook but uh he's as needed as any of the other four uh, or any of the other three, I should say. Yeah, and I think um, Aldous Hodge is a really good actor. I thought he was great in oh, yeah. the, the Invisible Man 
yeah, like, yeah. Earlier in twenty twenty, playing a completely different character. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I know that he has that range to him. So it was kind of cool to see his like care with this role too. Yeah, yeah. I I thought this was a great movie. What else is there to discuss? Um, it's it's hard because I feel like the movie has so much going for it, but it because it's in this like play esque style. The majority of it is kind of just the conversations between all of them. And what I loved, it felt very much like a sparring match between everyone. It didn't feel like any one person like was like giving like a soliloquy or anything. It felt like they were very much bouncing off of one another, one another very quickly. Um, I would have loved to have seen like how this like all came together. Um, yeah, like a like a behind the scenes kind of thing. Yeah, I'm I'm curious like how many takes it took or if the four actors kind of just spent some time like together kind of just to build like that genuine bond. I don't know. Curious. Yeah. Yeah, because I'd say two thirds of the movie is just kind of like at the hotel. Um, You get the fight at the beginning and then kind of some of the like summary stuff at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, it is just in one room where they go up to the roof for a bit or the parking lot. Yeah. Um, I did like when, when Malcolm brings out his camera to take the picture and they like make fun of him and I don't know. I, I thought the roof scene was really fun. Me too. It really did feel like all these guys were like friends. Yeah. Uh, which I think was an important aspect to sell, especially on Malcolm's behalf. Cause you know, he's, he's got his uh, own agenda. Um, it's strange because it feels like, you know, the majority of the movie is just contained to like that, these only few set pieces. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly what they are talking about, if that makes sense. And I think it's just because it's holistically, it's just how are they choosing to be black in the world? And and there are different perspectives on that. You know, you've got Sam Cooke, who is seemingly looking out more for himself um, so that he can find success in certain alleys. You've got Malcolm X just riling up everyone, it, which is super interesting because this is... I forget what year this is in, 64, but I think a year or two after this, Malcolm X goes on a journey across the world, uh, interacts with tons and tons of other people. And towards the end of his death, he had started to turn around on some of the earlier Fire and Fury beliefs he had. Um, I don't know. It's just an interesting thought experiment, what type of person he would have ended up if he had more uh, time to kind of... refine his opinion in some ways yeah it seems like this kind of catches him at a point when he's just starting to question some of his current stances on things Mm -hmm. um because i feel like malcolm x is probably more criticized than anything um (laughs) yeah just for the things he got wrong but it is interesting that he you see him talking about leaving the nation of islam and i don't know i thought that piece of it was really interesting between him and and Cassius, who's just kind of following him like a little dog, like, I don't know, just, I don't know, fully believes in him and what he believes, but then when he sees Malcolm X questioning himself, he gets shaken a little bit. Mm, Um, Yeah. I thought it was a really interesting way to handle that side of it, because I feel like the Nation of Islam is probably the thing that turns a lot of people away from Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X, and I don't know, some of the militant things that came with it, and I don't know, it, it was just handled in a way where 
you related to the people as as humans instead of like the Wikipedia list of like the sensational things that they did. Right, right. Because it really is more than that, and it's interesting. I like the first like big uh, thing that the Nation of Islam does in this movie. Like when uh, Cassius Clay comes over to pray, like that's a beautiful scene. Them just sitting there praying, like it felt very spiritual in a way. And I feel like that's not the perspective most people have when you say the Nation of Islam. Yeah. But I mean, it is a religion, and I mean, I thought that that was like a nice, poignant scene to show that you know it's not all about like the the bodyguards or whatever that Malcolm X had outside the door. Yeah, Lance Reddick straight out of John Wick. <laughs> yeah, Brother Kareem. Uh huh. Um. Yeah, I feel like I had another point. Oh, I was just gonna kind of open up into. I feel like one in in the country. Like we've obviously had this moment of um, reflecting on the civil rights movement and kind of the lessons that were learned from that, and like why are we in the position that we're in now? I think it's definitely not a coincidence that there are all of these movies coming out now that are looking back at that era. Um, yeah. But it it does just seem like there's been one after another of got the trial of the Chicago Seven, One Night in Miami, um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom kind of hit it at it from a different era and perspective, um, and then we've got uh, Judas and the Black Messiah coming out, and it's all kind of some of the same like characters and figures in that area, but they're all just getting such like in depth. Uh, reflections in movies uh, and i don't know i just wanted to know what you think of that and what you think that means and for the future of movies or i don't know yeah no i i think i think it was inevitable just because we're reaching a point where more and more black people are given the opportunities for them to tell their own stories and a lot of those stories are just somewhat reverberations or reflections of things that have already happened in the past and it's almost impossible for anyone any like successful black person to not have some sort of connection to something that has similarly happened in the past i don't know it feels like we can't ever like get rid of that like i've seen criticisms talking about why do we always have like so many movies about slavery and it's like well it's because like reverberations of that huge institution still like we still grapple with that today as a nation and by going back in time to these moments through film we can start to see how maybe we haven't grown as much as we think so it feels inevitable to me that we're going to start getting more of these and more nuanced version of these and this in particular is the type that really really grips me because it shows the complexity of it there's no like no um standard right or wrong way when we're talking about like civil rights issues like this movie happened in the middle of the 60s and you can see all the varying positions that even just these four men had on like what the civil rights movement means to them and what it should mean to just black people in general i i don't know i i felt like a take like this in particular was uh very nuanced, and I appreciated what seemed to be a lot of thought going into it. Um, yeah, and I think it—I think it's just refreshing to see like people having a conversation about their beliefs in this way, 
<laughs> yeah. Even if it does get like elevated at some times, but it's so much better than I don't know. I'm just inundated with like social media feeds of people just yelling out their beliefs, and the only people listening to them yelling are the people that believe the same thing as them. Yeah. And if they do come in contact with someone who has a different opinion, they'll just yell their opinion at them and tell them that they're a bigot and that they, I don't know, don't see things the right way. And I don't know, just resorts to name calling and there's no growth from it at all. Whereas, I don't know, these four guys all came into a room with differing opinions and they all kind of left, like, taking a little nugget of wisdom from it. And they all kind of changed their life in some way as a result of it. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I think that all starts because it was just what you said. It was an actual conversation. It wasn't this echo chamber of people just yelling things. It was trying to really convey where your perspective was coming from, why you felt that way, and why you see other perspectives as um, not lesser, but just not getting the same points that maybe you are. I don't know that, that sort of, especially the disconnect between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke, like that felt very, very well crafted. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you know that the, uh, the guy who wrote the play and then also adapted it for this movie, Kemp Powers, um, he was one of the writers on Soul. Oh wow! Which no, I, I did was, not know that. I thought that was really cool that he's been involved in both of those because I feel like that's wow. a, that's another movie that's kind of added to the conversation of like the current black experience and mm-hmm. I don't know. I I just think it's cool that the same guy has been behind both of those. He's kind of having his own little moment. Yeah, yeah. I I've never heard of him before, but uh, goodness, uh, yeah. What a way to start. <laughs> yeah, definitely someone to like look at like what he's doing next and. Oh, it it seems like he's definitely gained himself some cachet with this. Yes, as he should have. So this was Regina King's first um, foray directing, if I'm correct. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, that's true. At least as a as a movie, it says she's done some episodes of TV before, but this was her first feature film. Um, wow, way to come out swinging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because um, as, as much of this does, like, write on the um, the script of it and takes from the play, I do think it was, like, well shot. And, like, I feel like, like you had said, it would be interesting to see behind the scenes because she has to have a big hand in building the relationships between the actors even and mm-hmm. getting them to this place where they can... I don't know, just kind of go for it. Yeah, I thought I thought she did a great job. Um, I haven't seen Watchmen still. I really, oh. I really want to, but I, I know that she was like a big part of that being great. Yeah, uh, I just recently finished Watchmen. Um, I, th- mm. it's it's definitely worth a watch. I will say, like one of the episodes uh, in Watchmen is probably one of my favorite episodes of TV I've seen. Wow. Um, it was very good. Uh, she's also in The Leftovers, which I was going through. I don't know if I'm going to make it through The Leftovers. Everybody says it's amazing, but, oh, man, everyone is just absolutely miserable. <laughs> and it's a slog so far. Oh, man. Yeah, but she's also in that. So HBO is really getting as much as they can out of Regina King, it seems. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything else to say about One Night in Miami? 
Um, I feel like this is something that's going to get nominated and win several awards. I think it was nominated for a few Golden Globes, although I forget which ones. I would be delighted by that. Yeah, this is where I wish that um, the Oscars had an ensemble award. It's crazy to me that they don't. (laughs) Yeah, because this is like the perfect case for that. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, it's really the the coordination between those four actors that really gets me excited. And it gets um, so awkward dividing between like lead actor and supporting actor. I don't even know who I would call. Maybe Malcolm X is the lead actor in this, but then are maybe. the other three supporting? That doesn't seem right. No, like it seems it, like an ensemble. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, hmm. yeah. So that's that's one wish I had because I feel like more than likely that um it won't win the acting awards which it definitely should because <laughs> all of them are too good people aren't going to be able to separate yeah i wonder if uh. it would win something like adapted screenplay which would be cool because the guy that adapted it is the guy that wrote the original one i could see that yeah i mean yeah we we love writing and i feel like this is the writing the acting everything is great in this movie but those definitely shine Cool. Well, One Night in Miami is on Prime Video, which is cool. Yeah. Cool to have something that good. Yeah, cool to have something that I can just watch whenever. Um, Okay, do we want to hit our last movie? What are we talking about last? As a Promising Young Woman? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we texted about this some, but never actually got around to speaking about it on the pod. Uh, Promising Young Woman stars... Uh, Carrie Mulligan, and it's a revenge tale. Um, I th- I think it's on premium video demand right now. PVOD. Uh, yeah, PVOD. Uh, it's got it. I said just Carrie Mulligan, but it's got kind of a star-studded cast. It's got Bo Burnham in it. It's got Allison Brie. Uh, it's got the guy who plays Schmidt from <laughs> New Girl, whose name I will never remember. Um, Max Greenfield, I think. I don't want to disrespect. Yeah, him. yeah, I think that's um, right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I would call this star-studded. It's almost like the like cool young kids. It's not I, like I guess from my perspective, it seems star-studded because I was like Allison Brie, Bo Burnham, I'm there. Yeah, it's so um, many like, but t- yeah, you're probably TV, right. <laughs> yeah, it's like TV guys and like I don't know. I think Carrie Mulligan's great in everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it's a fantastic cast. Um, how do we talk about this I, without spoiling all of it? <laughs> I don't know how to really explain it. Um, it's it's a revenge tale kind of from a different angle where it's Carrie Mulligan's this main character that um, does this thing where she goes out and pretends to be drunk or pretends to be high or just like I don't know looks very out easy of it. yes looks very easy to take advantage of and then when some unknowing bozo shows up and tries to take her home and seduce her she's like flips it on them and like calls them out and tells them never to do it again and she i don't know kind of gets like a thrill out of doing this out of like i don't know teaching people a lesson um yeah so that alone is just like something i've never like seen um, and she's like crossing them off, like writing their names in this book. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if you want to get into like the, 
the overarching like why she's doing it and kind of what happens in the end of it because i think that's that's a big part of the movie i think i don't want to because i want people to be able to go see it uh because i think this is a great movie um i think it's like you were saying like a different uh take on revenge and kind of just a take on like guys right now like yeah. the quote-unquote like trope of nice guys one of the things that the director of this movie made sure to do was she casted a lot of tv like known nice guy actors to kind of put in perspective that just a seemingly nice guy you know oh it's adam brody from the oa doesn't necessarily mean that they are a legitimately good person and i think that's to kind of really challenge the uh, perspectives that people have whenever uh, women come forward with claims of, you know, sexual misconduct or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, the seems like the culture always wants to err on the side of the men who are just like, oh, well, he doesn't seem like someone who would do that. So by casting these well-known sort of good dudes, it kind of really forces you to... Uh, come against your own biases in a way that I thought was really effective because uh, and that I hope this isn't giving away too much but it's in the trailer like yeah that first scene with Adam Brody it's like oh I remember him he seems like a nice guy and then all of a sudden oh no yeah (laughs) and yeah but I I also do feel like in the end and it's hard to do this without talking about the 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 final scene of it it does leave some like nuance to it to where it's not completely one-sided there's kind of also this like dark other side of this woman so bent on revenge that she kind of goes to an extreme level with it and you kind of don't know how to feel about that true and i think that's why i stated that like i think this is a very good movie it's hard for me to be like i love this movie because the feeling it leaves you with is I don't know, kind of empty and uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, that's definitely what it's trying to do. But it, 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 because of that feeling, it, I don't know, leaves you feeling a type of way that doesn't make you like want to go to the rooftop shouting how great this movie was, at least for me, even yeah. though I do think it's very good. Yeah. And it's also very, very funny, mostly because Bo Burnham is a dang treasure. I, that's also true yeah it's it's very light and fun at times and then it just kind of turns it on its head at other times um mm-hmm. and the way that it shifts is just kind of shocking um yeah and then you've got all these like comedy actors in it who were conditioned to feel very comfortable and fun with and then when it twists on them we're like oh, oh no not allison brie i thought she'd be a great person <laughs> yeah um yeah, yeah, very, very interesting movie. Um, the writer-director, Emerald Fennell, she's in The Crown. I don't know if you guys are Crown people. Abby loves The Crown. You're not. <laughs> um, so I know her from that. She has a acting career. Yeah, I just, it, it's a pretty crazy, like, first major feature to, I don't know, have this be your your scope. It's very, I don't know, I just... <laughs> I struggle with how to talk about it because I think it is very complicated. Me too. But I think it handles it well. So mm-hmm. all in all, we're recommending this movie, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I this movie, unlike most others, I really couldn't 
solidify my opinion on it for a long time just because yeah and it sticks with you (laughs) yeah yeah it it really does especially the ending of it um Mm -hmm. yeah it is weird out of these three like kind of heavy movies that we've talked about this is like the most (laughs) lighthearted um yeah and carrie mulligan's great in this too oh yeah oh yeah those scenes where she is reveling in the chaos she is sowing there's a scene Mm -hmm. where she is speaking to someone in the school administration about uh an assault that had happened years ago and she is causing the woman to kind of feel that same sense of helplessness that she felt and just the smirk on her face oh like Mm -hmm. she is loving it in such a way she really she really lights up the screen there in such a sadistic way yeah carrie mulligan's great (laughs) yeah she makes you squirm and i just yeah i yeah i i don't think i've gotten that from carrie mulligan before but yeah Mm -hmm. i think i think she's a very talented actress um oh yeah she's nominated for golden globe I have a feeling that'll probably carry throughout several things. Emerald Fennell was nominated for directing and screenplay. Oh, I know nothing about the Golden Globes, but that doesn't sound bad. I'm just excited for, like, awards nominations just because it's been a long year. That means movies are out. (laughs) Yeah, and they're all coming out right at the end. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to critique all of the things that they get wrong more than anything. Um... But yeah, this is this is one where I don't know if I'm surprised that it's nominated for like best motion picture. It's just such a very specific thing. I don't know. There's just not anything to compare it to for me. Same, same. Um, I'm glad it's here though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I did like the movie. I don't think I've said that, but I did like it. I think you did. Okay, um, <laughs> we're just doing our best. I don't. We usually don't give like spoiler-free um, sort of opinions, uh, but in the the day and age when people can like easily watch things, I don't know. I kind of want to encourage that as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that's in contrast to the little things where if I had liked it more, we wouldn't have gone straight through the third act of it. Yeah, but promising young woman. Uh, I think. This is the only unfortunate one where you do have to pay money to watch it. But guess what? We used to actually pay money to watch movies. Right. There was a time where that wasn't crazy. Uh In fact, it was like this time last year. (laughs) True. True. When we were seeing Birds of Prey and Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) Cool. Well, we did three movies in one podcast, DJ. That's the good stuff, man. We got to get back at it. I uh-huh. uh, I have already watched Malcolm and Marie, but I know that's on your list. Yes, yes. I, I've started it. I have not finished Malcolm and Marie. Um, we've also got Judas and the Black Messiah coming up next weekend. Yes. I'm looking forward is to Nomadland that. already out? Nomadland, I think, is maybe out in some theaters. I think it comes to Hulu in a week or two. Okay. Okay. So we got some time. Um. I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh. Let's see. What else? Oh. I do want to see if you're interested in the sound of metal. This is a um, movie that stars Riz Ahmed as a, a deaf or hard of hearing drummer. And that's about all I know about it, other than it is getting quite a bit of, like, awardsy type attention. 
Yeah, I have seen varying things about it. Um, but I'm, if you're interested, then let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's the only one that's like readily available that I'm interested in watching. I'd like to see News of the World at some point with Tom Hanks. That's um, going to be a pass for me. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's one where I'm not motivated to spend money to actually see it. It's just the only okay. way to do it. So, okay. yeah, no worries there. You will not have to do it. Um, and then, were you going to watch Outside the Wire? Did that happen? Um, I said I was, but that was before, like, movies that seemed like they might have something going for them yeah. <laughs> uh, started to come out. Cool. Um, so I don't know. Okay. Well, I think we'll have plenty of things to choose from for our next episode. Okay. And that is a fun place to be. Yeah. Not a place we're usually at, in, like the beginning of February, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I wanted to squeeze all that in here before we go to our next piece, because we want to talk about the most recent episodes of WandaVision. Um this will date itself very quickly because we're like halfway through the season. Mm -hmm. um, but some things have happened and we got to put up some heavy spoiler warnings. Yes, this is the biggest spoiler warning for um, Wanda Visions episodes four and five. If you haven't seen them yet, please stop listening. This is this is the last warning we can give. Um, yeah. Stop listening if you don't want to Stop. hear about WandaVision <laughs> episodes four and five. That's what we're talking about here. Yes, we beg of you. Yes, <laughs> Do not yes, listen. Yes yes. yes, 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 yes. Okay, let's talk about it, TJ. All right, so let's go through this. Episode four uh, immediately kicks off in a place that I have been dying to see. It's one of the main reasons that it felt like Far From Home did not work for me. We start where the... Um, where I guess uh, the Hulk's snap starts. So the world is starting to come back. All the people who got dusted are coming back, and we come back right in the thick of it. We're following Monica Rambeau as she's going through this hospital. She finds out her mother has died like we three years ago, but she's been gone for Monica five Rambeau, years. Right? We did, did we not? We didn't know that until this point. At least I don't think I did. She was Geraldine before that. Yeah, I guess that's true. So we just saw her get flown out of there. Yeah, we did not know she was Monica Rambo. Uh, I think she went around asking for uh, her. Did she say Maria Rambo when she was going around? I don't know. I See, think this so, is why yeah. we don't do TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I agree. This like, and this is before the like credits drop and everything. Mm -hmm. This was great. This was cinematic level. Like, get me in the MCU right now. Yes, it was amazing. I went back and watched it again. My, poor Grace. Like, Grace was following along with WandaVision when it was like a, a spoofed version of like these different like 60s and 70s TV shows. But like as soon as it started, she did not know what was happening. And I just <laughs> I was just grinning ear to ear. I was like, this is amazing. We're seeing it from the perspective of people coming back. She's related to Captain Marvel's friend. Uh, I was hype. <laughs> yeah, Abby is firmly out. Um, she will pass through the room as I'm watching and kind of politely inquire. And then when I'm done watching an episode, I come excitedly running over to her to tell her everything <laughs> that just happened. And she kind of <laughs> pretends to be interested because she watched the whole MCU with me. But uh, she doesn't care about most of these things. 
Okay, so it sounds like both of our wives may, yeah, <laughs> may be yeah. kind of in it's the same boat. <laughs> just an indicator that this show is bringing out the finest of the nerdiness in us. Yes, it surely is. Um, yeah, so that was a crazy intro to the episode. And then we quickly get like a whole lot of background. Um, we get introduced to S.W.O.R.D., mm-hmm. um, which is what the weird logo in the first three episodes were. Yeah. Um, which is basically like Space Shield. I think that's accurate. <laughs> uh-huh. But they're a little more offensive, like offensive, I guess. Like, yeah. I guess, hence the sword versus the shield. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. We so get that's Captain like an exposition who talks us about how he's like the actor, acting director of sword and how... Uh, I don't like this the, guy. This guy's the worst, but I i mean, as soon as he popped on screen, I was like, yeah, there's no way that, like, the director of this anti-shield unit is going to be, like, altruistic and nice. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, that's fine. Uh, we get to see Jimmy Woo, which is awesome. That's not a character I thought that I needed to see again, but yeah, Randall Park is awesome. <laughs> I thought he was done, but he is very much a part of this TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. Um Darcy, Kat Denning's character, comes out of nowhere. <laughs> We're getting like an Avengers, like Avengers assemble for all the secondary characters the whose names you characters. might not remember. <laughs> yes, no one with superpowers. All of the office workers and scientists are uniting. Um, and I'm digging it. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, so they like set up that little base outside of the... The Wanda bubble, which was pretty much what I thought was going on. Right. Yeah, that wasn't too surprising. Yeah, Wanda's constructed like this weird like illusion zone um where she's like deceiving herself and other people. Um what else from that episode was crazy? Um, um the, like, I think that was all it. I think it was just catching us up in real time to what was happening. Yeah, I don't... Uh, we see the guy in, like, the hazmat suit go through the barrier, and he becomes, like, the guy with the bees. Yeah, where did he... That was at the he, end of did, the second extra show. Where did he go? Uh, I think he becomes, like, an ice cream vendor, uh, someone on the internet was saying later on, and that in episode five, he's the, uh, the, um... Who is he? He's the male guy who okay. passes... I wondered if um, he was the mailman. Yeah, who says, your mob won't let the dog go too far. I... People are yeah. saying that's him. I have no idea. I'm assuming he's not dead, so I guess that all makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I still don't quite know people in the bubble if they're all, like, good people. Seems like maybe not, but I don't know. Um, but we're learning more about that, why it's like a TV show. Um, okay, do you want to talk about episode five? Uh, at the end of episode four, we see like the corpse of Wanda or the corpse of Vision, like oh, or I guess a grayed out Vision without the the uh, Mind yeah. Stone. How he I gasped. Like, yeah, that was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's the way he looked right after Thanos like plucked the stone from his forehead. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because then in episode five, switching over, we we just learned that Wanda like broke into Sword and stole Vision's like disassembled body Mm -hmm. and in some way has resurrected him we're not sure exactly how um he's starting to question things this is kind of a creepy show sometimes 
Oh yeah, like when the music is not playing, like when Agnes comes over and she's like, "Should I take that from the top?" And like, there's no background yeah. music and everyone's staring at each other. It is the most unsettling, and it's not something that I that I was expecting from this show. Yeah, I I don't know what Agnes's role is. Also, those those little kids were pretty creepy. They um, were the twins. There's just like something off about them because they keep aging very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can like control it somehow. Yeah. Hmm. Also, it was crazy. Episode five, Wanda like exits the bubble and throws that drone back at all of the sword people. Mm-hmm. Then she like uh, mind controls them and has them all point their guns towards Hayward. Yeah. Um, so, what was your interpretation of what this was going on? Because I thought this whole time I was like, Wanda is being like controlled or something or she's like losing her mind but yeah. she seems very cognizant of what's going on and i was like oh no she's gonna be in so much trouble <laughs> i mean i really do think she's like grieving vision's loss and has tried to create this like bubble world where she can live happily ever after with vision but right but i thought that more of her was like unaware of what was going on but she yeah. just seemed her exiting, I was shocked by. I was like, oh no, because that means most of her is there, like mentally. Yeah, and I don't know, because Vision starts to question things in episode five. And at one point she says that she's not in control of everyone in the neighborhood. And I don't know right. if that's that she actually isn't. And there, there's like some evil forces at play. Or if that she's just like unaware of her own abilities that she's subconsciously controlling everyone in her desire to like stay with vision um yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure there's definitely like something bigger um but i don't quite know what that's gonna be and i also don't know like are the twins like real like are those actual people that have been created I don't know. <laughs> and Agnes makes that uh joke about like kids you can't control them so it does seem like it does seem like they have a, a mind of their own. It doesn't seem like they're being controlled. They're I they're not like extras like a uh, Vision's office worker was, uh, office worker friend. Yeah, um, yeah. Because when he like pops back and he's like, "I can't reach my family," that was a terrifying moment. Yeah, um, everyone snapping out of it is straight out of like Get Out. Like, <laughs> yeah, Lakeith Stanfield just like freaking out from the flash bulbs. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that part's pretty creepy. Um, okay. Can we talk about the end of episode five? Oh, the big one. <laughs> so, there's the ring at the doorbell. And we're kind of like questioning whether she made it happen or Vision made it happen. Opens the door and like stands there for a minute. And it's like, oh, this is someone that we know. <laughs> and you're like running through your mind who it could possibly be. And well, earlier in the episode, uh, Monica said something about like an aerospace engineer or something like that. And I was like, yeah. are they going to send in like someone in Iron Man armor or something? Like, I, yeah. I didn't know what, what I was what to trying expect. to think because we knew that would be a person that we would know. Right. Like someone. Right. Yeah, I did not know what to think of that. Um, and then it starts to like zoom out on this person and we get the back of a gray head. And I was like, Hank Pym. I was oh. like, <laughs> oh, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> I was like, Hank Pym, why is he here? <laughs> I was like, what? And kind of a letdown of a character appearance. I was like, <laughs> wasn't super excited for Michael Douglas to join the show. 
Um, but then we turn around, and it's Quicksilver from the X Men movies. I gasped. I gasped, I, I, <laughs> DJ. I, I just wasn't expecting it. it at all. <laughs> I don't know how Disney keeps these secrets, but um, that's crazy. I, and then they have some throwaway line about how she's recast her brother because, like, obviously, Quicksilver in the Marvel movies was Aaron Taylor Johnson, mm-hmm. and in the X Men movies, it's this guy whose name I don't remember. Evan Peters. Evan Peters. Um, I didn't remember it either. I had to look it up. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. That's. I just like. Are the X Men entering this world already? I think so. Because people are saying that uh, Monica Rambeau's line to that aerospace engineer might be her talking about uh, Mister Fantastic. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I, I just. Mean, th- I anything just we were, can happen now. I <laughs> There's we were, an X Men here. I know. I thought we were years away from this. Same. <laughs> and it's so accelerated. I did not think that anyone from the X Men movies would in any way be connected to the MCU ever. <laughs> Let alone in in this TV show. Yes, yes, in in WandaVision. And they brought him in. I just don't even know. I don't know what to do. (laughs) I just, anything can happen from this point. I just, I have no idea what to expect next. Yeah, it it made me start wondering if they're really going to use, it seems like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is going to be a huge movie. In the MCU. It also seems that Spider-Man 3 is going to be a well, huge movie. huge, huge in, like, Spider-Man world. No, I mean, yes, but there was rumors just this week that Willem Dafoe was seen on set. Well, but that's another Spider-Man character. What, what I'm saying is multiverse stuff, though. Well, that's that's the Spider-Verse, though. Oh, my God. That's a different <laughs> multiverse. I'm saying that we're opening up to the other hero properties that are non-Spider-Man. Which I just, like, I did not think, like, Disney is just going to open up its arms and encompass every single superhero property that has ever been created. And they're all just, they're just like, oh, you're all part of us now. Multiverse. But it seems like that's... Honestly, they shouldn't do that. The X-Men, like, continuity is a mess. (laughs) It is wild. But, I mean, you can say, like, oh, that's a different, like, part of the multiverse. And I guess that's, like, hand-waving it is okay. While still connecting it to everything. But I just did not think that was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, this really this really shook me. I did not expect X-Men Quicksilver to pop up. Um, man. It's nice to be really surprised. Like, legitimately and completely surprised. And I just... I was not expecting much from this TV series. Same. I honestly, I wasn't even looking forward to it all that much. I was like, I'll get to it eventually, like because it's two characters we haven't really spent any time with. I still can't tell you Vision's powers. Yeah, and through the first three episodes, I really thought the rest of the season was just going to be slowly like discovering there's something wrong with like this TV world, and then at the end, there's a big reveal of like what it is. And I was completely prepared for that. Yeah, but they've done the reveals much faster. They've introduced reveals that we didn't know were going to be reveals at a very rapid rate. And I I just feel like it's so much stuff coming at you so fast, even though it's like 30 minutes a week. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Aaron, what what happened? See, I I wasn't I at this point since. in our last episode. Yeah, I was just content to watch this casually. Yeah, but now we gotta speculate because uh-huh. the the X Men are here. Yeah, I don't I don't think they can stay in the bubble for another like two episodes. Hmm. I feel like we haven't seen enough genres of TV though. I guess I don't know how how modern they're gonna go with it. And now that we've seen Wanda exit the bubble, the hex, I guess as we're yeah. supposed to call it now, I feel like that opens it up. Um, yeah, I don't, and I don't know if they're gonna try to make an, a whole explanation of how Quicksilver got there. That's just I don't know. That seems like a lot to tackle in this TV show, but it 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 seems like that's what they're going to try to do. What was what was Pietro's accent when <laughs> he got there? I was too surprised by seeing him that I didn't really catch what was going on. I didn't know if he had like like their Sokovia accent. I thought he he was more of his like fun fun dude in the X Men movies. Okay, okay. I couldn't tell either way. Cause he was uh, like, I did think it was funny when Wanda left the hex or whatever. She did have an accent. Uh-huh. And then when she came back in, she did not. Yeah, I thought that was... Man, I was not expecting her to leave the bubble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, and yeah, she's just like in her like righteous fury. Yeah, because I, I really did think, at least there was some part of me that thought that she was under the influence of something. But that, that seems to make it like her own thing that she's doing yeah which makes and her kind I'm of like, villainous i'm concerned like yeah <laughs> because yeah. sword doesn't seem to be the kindest you know uh, group i i don't know i don't want her to be in trouble <laughs> yeah i think some point in the next two episodes we're going to have to find out one we've got to find out who agnes is because we really don't know who that is she cracks me up <laughs> she's funny but also like seems to have her own agenda true and i don't know what that agenda is i don't either um yeah and then i think we're gonna figure out like what happens if i don't know there's gonna be some raising of the stakes of like this bubble thing could get way out of control yeah and then i don't know if there's like some big boss battle at the end is that what they're gonna do in this i don't know it seems like it wouldn't happen Especially because they keep saying that, you know, Wanda could defeat Thanos on her own. Yeah, and it seems like Vision's going to become disillusioned. And, I mean, they almost, like, fought in this one. It seems like that conflict's going to escalate more. Those kids are wild cards and could do anything at any moment. Yeah. They concern me quite a bit. I don't know. I'm excited for next week's episode. Same. I don't think I was on, like, the... Because, like, you, I, we texted this morning trying to figure out a time to record, and I was like, yeah, I'll watch Wanda sometime beforehand. But now I feel like I'm going to be, like, refreshing Disney Plus and being uh-huh. like, I need the next one. I uh-huh. need it. <laughs> oh, Aaron, this is, this is crazy. I don't know where we go from here. <laughs> I, I don't either. I don't either. And we have, like, six straight months of just Marvel TV shows releasing episodes. So uh, what a gonna, wonderful world. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground. 
Oh, man. The Falcon and Winter Soldier is feeling like it's going to feel small potatoes compared to this now. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, yeah, that's weird because I thought that would be a bigger show, but now I'm like not Same. as excited about it. But I also know that just when I get not excited about it, it's going to be incredible. <sighs> mm. They got us. <laughs> they got us wrapped around their finger, man. They did. <sighs> okay, well... That's us gushing about WandaVision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you made it to the end of this episode, past the spoiler wall, and past all three movies, thank you. <laughs> um, feel free to email us about any of the movies, or definitely your WandaVision thoughts and theories um, at mainlymoviespod at gmail.com. Um, you can rate and review us on iTunes, or can you review things on Spotify? Is that a thing? I don't think so. We should know this. We should know this, but I I don't think you can. Okay, well, never mind that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we got we got plenty more things to watch, DJ. 